welcome to Tales of Panem, a Hunger Games podcast. My name is Claire, my pronouns are she, her, and I'm glad to have you all joining me this week. Make sure to check out my social media, which is at Tales of Panem on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok for updates, episode information, and more. As you may have noticed, there is some fun new intro music for this episode, and that is because we are starting Catching Fire. Um, this week's episode, will be covering chapters one through five. And as usual, I'm going to start off with a brief recap of the chapters. So the book starts the morning of the victory tour, which is when the victor of the Hunger Games, or in this case, the victors, travel to all the other districts as well as the capital to make appearances, give speeches, and attend celebrations. Katniss recounts the things that have changed since her victory. Her family is rich and famous and now lives in the victor's village. Her relationship with Gale has changed and they only see each other on Sundays in the woods as he is working in the coal mines the rest of the time. She and Peta rarely speak, and their relationship is very rigid and cold. The day they are set to leave for the tour, President Snow visits Katniss at her new home. He tells her that her actions in the 74th Games have sparked dissent in some of the districts and that she must convince the entire country that she's in love with Peta on the tour. He threatens to have her family as well as Gail killed if she doesn't, and he reveals to her that he knows she and Gail kissed one day in the woods. Katniss decides the best person to confide in about Snow's warning is Hamish, so she tells him on the train ride to District 11, begging him to help her make it through the tour. In return, he tells her that she'll have to spend the rest of her life keeping up this act, meaning she'll eventually have to marry Peta. During the trip, Peta apologizes to Katniss for being cold to her, and they agree to try and at least be friends. In District 11, they give a speech to the citizens as well as the deceased tribute's families. Katniss goes off script to talk about Rue and thank the people of District 11, and the crowd responds with the three-finger salute prompted by one man whistling Rue's four-note song. As they're leaving the stage, Katniss and Peta witness the peacekeepers execute him. Where to begin? Where to begin with all of that? Um, I said this about the beginning chapters of The Hunger Games, and it's the same way with this book, which is that all the chapters leading up to the games are jam-packed with stuff because there's so much, like, this is... This is where all the interpersonal relationships get really get built up, especially the ones that involve people who are not tributes. And so we kind of got to hurry it up and cram in as much character development as possible. Um, and she did an amazing job with it, I have to say. Um, these first like early chapters of Catching Fire, the entire first part, actually, um, which, by the way, I was like reading it obviously to take notes for this episode and I literally let, read the entirety of part one like in one sitting um, because I just I always forget just how good it is. This book is so good. Um, <laughs> shocking right? I know. Um, but this book is genuinely amazing. The first chapters are literally incredible. Some of the best scenes in the entire series are in here and of course my contractually obligated comment about Hamish in these early chapters is that like this is this is what solidified him as my favorite character in the series. Like I already loved him in the first movie, in the first book, but then I read Catching Fire and I was like, this man is literally my favorite person to ever exist ever. Um, <laughs> don't mind that I'm going to be talking about him a lot and being a little insane about it. Uh, but I think we all saw this coming and it's not shocking to anyone who has been listening for a while, but yeah, so new book, lots of new things to discuss and this is actually shocking to everyone. The first thing I'm going to talk about is Gale. I know. I hate him. I really do hate him, guys. I really do hate him. But he is important to Katniss. Their relationship has changed a lot. I think it's worth talking about. So obviously where we left off in the last book, there wasn't really anything romantic between Katniss and Gale. 
but she's sort of beginning to acknowledge that like first of all everyone else in district 12 kind of just assumed that there was based on how much time they spend with each other um like there's even a part where she says that like most people probably assume that her and Gail would just get married even though she never really thought about it but obviously now we're learning that on Gail's end there were absolutely romantic feelings and he's a little bit jealous and I say that with so much hatred towards him and bitterness towards him um I just feel like you all need to know that that everything I say about him is with negativity and and hatred (laughs) um (laughs) but no like in all seriousness he does have feelings for her. She doesn't reciprocate that. Well, he does. He does have feelings for her. She doesn't really know how she feels yet. Um, but they do have this kiss out in the woods one day, and he basically kisses her, and then they like never talk about it again. But he, Snow also does know about this because he quite literally has eyes everywhere. And so now they're at this point where Gail is now working in the coal mines, so he doesn't have a lot of time to be out hunting. And it's also, it puts a kind of a strain on their relationship because Katniss now has the money to buy everything she could possibly need and also everything that his family could possibly need. So she could give them money, clothes, food, whatever they need. But Gail is really reluctant to accept that from her. Um, And she like, she's still, because she's obviously able to go out hunting more than he is because she doesn't have to work in the mine. She doesn't really have to work at all because she now has the money from her victory. So she spends most of her time out in the woods hunting on her own and checking his traps, resetting them, stuff like that. But she makes a point to deliver the game for each day to Gail's mother when Gail's not around because she knows that it makes him a little bit uncomfortable that she is is now the one providing for his family because he's very similar to her and that he wants to be the one looking after his own family. And I think that if the tables were turned, Katniss would kind of be the same way where it's like, I'm going to accept these things because my family needs it to survive and I have younger siblings to look after. But like, I'm not happy about the fact that I can't provide as well as someone else can, which I do think is a very valid thing. And I, and I know I said that I say everything about him with hatred, but this is actually just like, I get it. Like that's, this feels valid for him. This is not one of the things I hate him for. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But yeah, the relationship is very different and why that's so important also is because Katniss doesn't have a lot of friends. She has Gail. She has Madge. She has, she has Prim, um, which is slightly different, but they're still obviously very close. And then she has PETA, sort of, not really at this time, because how can they possibly be friends? And that's not me being like, how can they even do it? But like, look at their situation. It's so hard for them to even be around each other. And that's like a thing that happens in these chapters is them kind of deciding like, maybe we should try to be friends just because this is not sustainable. Uh, But at the point where we pick up, they're not exactly friends. They barely see each other. They barely speak. And there's a lot of tension between them and not the good kind (laughs) um and then Hamish and we all know how Hamish is doing right now so in terms of like reliable consistent friends it's basically just Madge Prim and sort of Gail but even that's kind of shaky um and Gail's obviously the person she's been friends with the longest they know each other so well he knows her probably better than anyone so to kind of lose like the and a big part of what 
is so important about their relationship is that like sort of safety and security and, and just ease with being around each other. It's so easy for her to talk to him. But now that's kind of been lost because of all the things that have happened and also his feelings for her. And as we all are aware, he can't just be a good guy about it. And so, yeah, she's kind of losing that bond with Gail, which is very difficult for her and putting my personal feelings for Gail aside sucks. Truly it does. Truly it does. Um, Coming purely from the perspective of I care so much about Katniss, couldn't care less about Gail, but they are very close. And so it is very hard for her to kind of lose that the one person that she could truly, truly be herself around. And also the woods kind of being their one place where they could speak their minds. And now that's been lost too, because she knows the snow is literally watching everything that she does. Moving along, we have this scene where snow comes to visit her. Ugh. Scary, scary man. Very scary man. Um, and I will say this scene translates really well from like book to movie and kind of vice versa of like I get the same feeling of fear and discomfort when I read it as I do when I watch it which is big part due to Donald Sutherland's acting as Snow like literally haunting in a good way in the way that it should be because he's obviously extremely evil and messed up (laughs) and also the dialogue in this scene is great and also obviously Jennifer Lawrence is acting in the scene helps a lot too because she has to convey that same level of like discomfort and fear that the audience is feeling but this chapter with snow I just mm, it just hits different after reading ballad like it truly does first of all the amount of time she describes him as like snake like anyway ballad of songbirds and snakes we all know he's the snake like we all know this I'm sure um (laughs) but also just like Things that we learned about him in that book, the roses. Yeah, we know what I'm talking about. Anyway, um, just reading this, I was like, man, it really all connects. It really does. But I think this scene is just oh, it's so, so well written and literally makes me feel like queasy when I'm reading it. Like when he's leaving the room and he turns back to be to like lean over her and be like, I know about the kiss. That, that feeling of like being watched constantly is what they're really trying to get at. It, the whole first part of this book is all about how like nowhere is safe and no one is safe. And like literally everything you do is being monitored and watched and has real tangible consequences, which in this case, the threatened consequence is literally the lives of everyone she has ever known or cared about. And that's what he's doing in this scene is basically being like, hey, if you don't, pull this act off I will literally kill everyone you care about starting with Gail and so (laughs) who does she decide to confide in about this she goes through her list of potential people Gail is obviously not safe anymore Peta it's really unclear where their relationship stands and also he's gonna quote-unquote act aka he's actually in love with her so it's not acting so she doesn't want to tell him that they're in danger and mess that up in in terms of like throwing him off and and putting them in even more danger who does that leave us with all right Hamish let's talk about him let's let's do it let's just get right into it his life is so sad and I know what you're thinking I know you're like yeah obviously yeah obviously that's like majority of the point of his character is look how sad his life is 
but just like I don't I don't know if Suzanne Collins understands the level of like emotional distress these chapters cause me with just like these little like it'll be like one sentence of like and also here's how Hamish is doing and I'm like this has literally ruined my day like I'm not gonna be able to think about anything else a couple examples of that being one Katniss mentions that she now like stocks up on alcohol in case he runs out because he once had such a bad withdrawal that he was like losing it and like screaming and throwing things and freaking out and it literally she says that it even like scared prim half to death it's like two sentences of the book and i was like this is all i'm gonna be able to think about for the next like week of my life thank you so much for that but also let's talk about this let's talk about this Hamish doesn't like to sleep when it's dark out because nightmares because he is still that afraid it's now been exactly 25 years since he won the games and he still cannot sleep when it is dark outside let's just let that sit for a minute isn't that the most devastating thing you've ever heard in your entire life because i know it is for me i know it is for me and now katniss and Peta have have the same thing like in in different ways obviously but the nightmares are the consistent thread and again like 25 years later and he still can't go without drinking because it brings up all those memories yeah it makes me really sad so interesting for me that this is my favorite character and like literally just thinking about him makes me want to cry yeah anyway um but Candace does decide to confide in him so true I love when they have little bonding moments and basically this is when she tells him like snow came and threatened me we're literally screwed if I can't pull off this act and he basically is like you know this isn't gonna just go away after this tour because that's her thing is like I just need to get through this tour and then I can just kind of lay low and go back to my life and he's like no because they're gonna become mentors and they're gonna have to do what Hamish has been doing for the last 25 years and every single year they're gonna be like hey look at these two remember when they fell in love in the Hunger Games yeah every single year for the rest of their lives and so Katniss is like okay we're gonna have to get married she realizes that that's the only way this ends think about her life and the amount of freedom she's had in her life and it's like next to none right like she has had almost no choice in anything ever because she spent most of her childhood supporting the rest of her family she literally like as much as I have talked about how she does like genuinely find joy and comfort in hunting it also was a necessity like she had to be out there hunting every single day or else her family wouldn't have enough to eat And then she obviously didn't have a choice in going to the hunger. Okay, well, she volunteered. Yeah, I know. But did she really have a choice, though? Because it was her friend. And either way, she was going to be suffering. It was just a question of, is she going to be the one in the arena fighting? Or is she going to be the one watching? Which, for her, watching probably would have been worse. And Prim almost certainly would not have won. So she didn't really have a choice there. And now... This uh, this whole illusion of like, once you win the games, everything will be great and you can just celebrate for the rest of your life, which is not true for anyone, really. I mean, maybe to some extent for the people, like the careers who win, but still the trauma of the game sticks with them, even if they volunteered and if they were like, oh, I want to do this, bring pride to my district, whatever. They're still very young when these things happen and so it still sticks with them. Um, so even they're not just like loving life, enjoying themselves completely. 
But especially for people from District 12, I mean, like, look at the victor we have to compare to. It's been 25 years and Hamish is still drowning his feelings in alcohol and has nightmares and no family, basically no friends. So it's not like a celebration really once you win. And added on top of that, she now has to be in this like fake relationship literally for the rest of her life. And they also have to be mentors every single year. They're going to get dragged through like, oh, uh, remember all these things that you did in the games that caused you so much trauma, but we're just going to like shove them in your face every single year. So there's no freedom there. But the one freedom that she would have potentially had would be to marry who she wanted. Now she doesn't get to have that. She gets no choice in it because it has to be Peta. Like it literally has to. Because if she marries someone else, everyone's going to know that the whole love story thing was a lie. And then it's going to be like, oh, then why'd you pull out those berries to defy the capital? And then the capital is going to kill all your friends and family. So her one potential choice that she could have made for herself has now been taken away. There's also something so interesting about she mentions it when she's sort of realizing like, oh, I'm going to have to marry Peta and we're going to have to like start a family, whatever. She mentions that too often to be a coincidence, the victor's children end up becoming tributes. And it's just something that you never really think about. But like, yeah, these people are going to have families. There are going to be victors who have children. And, and basically what the implication here is, is that the capital rigs the reapings to draw the victor's children because it makes for better television. Because then you get parents mentoring their children in the Hunger Games to go die. And this all in a roundabout way goes back to what I talked about when I did my Katniss episode, what I talked about when I did my PETA episode, what I will talk about when we get to Mockingjay, what I talked about the very beginning of the Hunger Games when Katniss says she doesn't want children. And now on top of that, she's a victor and she knows that any children she did have would have an even greater chance of getting the Hunger Games, especially because they would be the child of two victors. Like she, she there's, there's no way she thinks that there is a world in which her and Peta get married, have a kid, and that kid does not get reaped. It's not going to happen because if the child of one victor makes for good television, what does the child of two make? But then she's not going to have a choice anyway. It's not like she wants to marry Peta and have children with him, especially at this moment. She does not want that. But what's going to happen if she doesn't? What are the consequences going to be? Oh, yeah, they're going to kill everyone. So she's literally trapped in this cycle and now knows that her future child is probably going to have the same fate as her. Anyway, moving away from this horrible, dark train of thought that I've gone down, let's talk about Peta. Love of my life. The fact that he's still, like apologizing to her and just being the best man to ever live ever man he's he's like 17 he's still really a boy but anyway the point is he's apologizing to her for kind of like he's kind of like pushing her away being cold to her you know not being overly friendly with her and he's apologizing for that which like okay yeah but also gail could never i'm so sorry to like drag Gail into this, but he could never. Where Gail is constantly guilt tripping her about her relationship with Peta that she doesn't even want. First of all, she didn't choose Peta over him. She literally did not have a choice. At this point in time, there is no option. And also 
she literally just survived the Hunger Games. I think she's dealing with a little bit of trauma. And he's like, but, but, do, you, but do you love me? But like, do you want to go out? Sir, think about what you're saying right now. Meanwhile, PETA, who has, I'm not going to say he's every right to be upset with her specifically, because again, like, it's not really up to them. They're just doing what they need to do to survive. But has every right to be like upset in general is coming to her and apologizing for being a little rude to her after everything they've been through. Very telling about what kind of person he is. Very telling. Um, And that is why I say that he's literally perfect because he didn't have to do that. And it shows how much he cares about her. It shows that he just like is a good person, has a good heart. Also for Peta, he's, every Victor has to have like a talent and his is painting, obviously, which he's really good at it. And he really loves it. I've said this before. Um, but he paints the Hunger Games. Like he paints their games. He paints the arena. He paints Katniss. He paints the other tributes. He paints literally everything he saw there. And when he shows them to Katniss, which is a really great moment in this book because it's after they have the whole conversation where he's like, I'm sorry, maybe we should try to be friends. He shows her the paintings and she goes, I hate them, which means they're great because it like transports her back there. And I just think it's so interesting. Like, and there's obviously a lot of messages in this, in this series as a whole. And this story is like, how different people process trauma differently. For Katniss, she'd prefer to just shut it all out, never think about it again. And this is a big part of what makes her similar to Hamish because what has he been doing for the last 25 years? Exactly that, in a different way, but it's still the same outcome. Peta, on the other hand, processes it through these paintings. There's also a lot to be said about like, what is a healthy response to trauma and what is going to help you heal and recover and move forward and process it, it's not blocking it all out. And this is something that is going to be learned throughout the series that like you have to confront it as painful as that is. But like, <laughs> I'm so sorry. I keep being like, look how terribly Hamish is doing. But, but that's kind of a big part of why he's like, why he's in the story, you know, is to be like, he won the game 25 years ago, never processed it, drinks constantly to forget about it, and he still can't sleep when it's dark out and has nightmares and, and, and. And so I can use my critical thinking skills to be like, hmm, maybe Katniss doing kind of the same thing minus the alcohol, but it's probably not going to work out so well in the long run for her, is it? Meanwhile, Peta. Not saying that like, oh, he made these paintings and now he's fully recovered and he's fine now. No, but it's something. But he's not just pushing it away. He's not just avoiding it. He's, he's confronting it. And it's obviously not easy for him to do that. It takes a lot of strength. So for him to make these paintings and share them with people is very, is very telling about what a, a strong person he is. And and not, that's not to say like, oh, Katniss is weak for not doing this. Like, that's not the point. It's not a comparison. It's not a competition. But it's it's what can we take away from Peta's character based on the fact that he made these paintings and that he's sharing them with people and that he he has the strength to look at them and create them and relive those memories every time he does. 
is just a statement about him as a person individually. But I do think it's also very meaningful that he shares those with her because it is an experience that they had together. And that is something that no other Victor can say is I have another person here who was, who was there. Like I, I, there's another person alive who experienced it with me, not watched it on a television screen, but like literally was there in the arena, lived it with me. And it's also like, yes, there are other victors. Yes, you have your mentor. Yes, there are other people who have experienced the Hunger Games and survived, but it's those specific games. It's the specific things that they encountered that affected them in a way that something different that happened in another victor's games affected them differently. And so the only person who can truly, truly, truly understand what you went through is a person who was there in your same games. And so Kat and Sabita are the only people who can say that. And so I think it is really important that they kind of go through this together. One, just because it's, it's for storytelling, like it strengthens their relationship in this narrative, but also on a, on a character level and as like looking at them from the perspective of these are teenagers who have just gone through who've just experienced more traumatic events than pretty much anyone else would ever experience in their entire life. How can they look back on it together and then move forward together in a healthy way, in a productive way, in a way that's not going to have them end up like Hamish. (laughs) So sorry. I just love that man so much. And it's so uh, it is so difficult to just read about him and be like, bro, it's so bad for him. Still, still. Also for Hamish, since it's it's the 75th games, this is the year the third quarter quell. So you know they're gonna be like, oh my god, and look, here's your mentor who won the last quarter quell. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. So as much as he is getting drunk all the time to try to avoid reliving any of the events of his games on this victory tour. It's literally going to be shoved in his face the entire time. And throughout the rest of the quarter, well, it's going to be shoved in his face the entire time. And you know that he is trying to brace himself for that by probably drinking more. Let's talk about District 11 because that is where we end up here. I just realized I just said so much stuff. And then I remembered that I'm not supposed to be spoiling Mockingjay because I'm this is supposed to be for first time readers too okay well I'm cut all that out anyway um I think that when thinking of who is is leading this rebellion and starting this rebellion you know know, we obviously have Katniss we have like the eventual rebel leaders who are going to meet um but District 11's role in the start of the rebellion is so huge and so monumental I mean it starts with it starts with Rue, if we're being completely honest. Rue's death. Um, obviously in the movie, literally we see starts a riot in District 11 right after her death. In the book, what we get is the bread that they sent Katniss as sort of like a thanks and, and a way of honoring her uh Rue through Katniss. But then on the victory tour, on the victory tour, and and this is something I'll talk more about next week as we get into like the aftermath of that but this man gets executed for whistling the four note tune Rue's like four note melody with the Mockingjays and 
right after he does that, everyone else does the three finger salute, almost like it was planned or rehearsed. Oh, it probably was, or at least coordinated in some way. Because the people of District 11, like, although it is Katniss's actions that kind of prompt a lot of these acts of rebellion, almost like kind of encourage them, it's the people who are actually starting the rebellion and starting the fight, starting what turns into the war. And more specifically, it's the people of District 11. And I think that we also learn here how much stricter things are in District 11. There's a lot more peacekeepers. They're a lot more harsh. Things are really locked down. People go to work, they come home. Like it's, it's even more harsh there than it is in District 12, which is kind of like, yes, things are really bad, but it's a lot more lax in terms of like people are doing illegal trading. Katniss illegally hunts in the woods every single day. The, the fence on the border isn't even turned on. She literally sells some of her game to peacekeepers. Like it's a lot more, I don't want to say laid back because it's not laid back, but it's not as strict as District 11 is by a long shot. And we can presume that this conditions in District 11 got even worse. One, because if we're going based on the movie, like this riot that happens, like obviously there would be a crackdown after something like that. But also um, in general, we see we see this with the three finger salute and the man getting killed. Like if that stuff is really coordinated, there's probably been some other smaller things happening before this and something that prompted the stricter treatment of them. Or it could have just always been like that. And we know what, from what Rue describes that there were like serious consequences for people that were found, like taking things from work, like they don't get to keep any of what they farm, that kind of stuff. And so we know there were already harsh rules being enforced with harsh punishments, but it could have gotten worse based on the events of those games. And that's sort of a big thing for Katniss is like, yes, the things she's doing are prompting acts of rebellion and encouraging people that they have a chance to stand up against the capital, but they also have consequences. And that's not to like place the blame on her being like, oh, if you hadn't pulled out those berries, then maybe these people of District 11 wouldn't blah, blah, blah. Like, it's not that. But to her, who is doing these things and then seeing the consequences, and again, she doesn't pull out the berries because she wants to start a giant rebellion. That's not why she does it, plain and simple. We know that for a fact. And so, but from her perspective, she's like, I just did this. And now look how people are being treated because of it. And look who might be hurt or killed because of it. I mean, she's already had direct threats made against her friends and family. And then she sees this man get killed in District 11. And it's like, all she can see is her role in making that happen. She can't see at this point, like, that she has given people hope, that she has inspired people to fight. All she can see is, the lives being lost because of her and the consequences that her actions are having on innocent people. And that's why she's not immediately like, Oh my God. Yeah. I can't wait to join the rebellion. Let's fight the Capitol because she's looking out for people in a different way, which is that I just want to protect people because at least yes, things are bad. Yes. Things are terrible, but people are now being executed for supporting her for standing up that's not, she doesn't want people to lose their lives because of her, plain and simple, end of the day, that is it. She doesn't want people to die for her or because of her. Um, which is so real, especially for a 17-year-old in this situation, like, 
she's she's just trying to do what she can to keep herself and the people she loves alive and all of a sudden people are looking to her as a symbol of rebellion it's a lot to take on it is a lot to take on um at such a young age when she doesn't really even know what her role in all of this is and also she doesn't know the extent of it because communication is so limited be- between the districts that she would never have known any of this stuff is going on in the other districts if she hadn't been on the victory tour when it happened like if she hadn't been in that district to experience it firsthand and so the people in other districts are never going to know they're never going to know if the people of district 11 rose up and regained control of their agriculture and all of that stuff no one would ever know because there's no way for them to because that's not the kind of news that the capital wants people to be receiving so they're going to keep it quiet and they're going to shut it down and no one else is going to know about it But now we have Katniss who is learning about it and we're going to see going forward, she's going to learn more and more of what's going on. And she's also been cued into it by Snow, who's basically like, we have some issues starting to stir. But again, that all came with heavy threats. So she's not going to go around telling everyone like, hey guys, I heard there might be an uprising in another district. She's going to keep it quiet. She only tells Hamish. And again, I've said this before, but like that is why it's so hard for any kind of rebel effort to become organized is because there's literally no way of communicating about it. The only reason Katniss's act of rebellion, being the berries, got televised is because she forced the Capitol's hand and that's why they're upset with her. They would have loved to have just not televised that, but then we still have two victors and what are we going to do about that? And so she kind of forced that to be shown and that is what is stirring these potential uprisings but other than that nothing is being televised nothing is being shown nothing is getting out of its own district where it's happening but I think that that's even more to the credit of people of district 11 that they're still willing to do something even though they know no one else may ever know about it and it might just be confined to their district alone and they don't even know if they have any support other district. For all they know, all the other districts could be totally like bought into this act and, and not even thinking of rebellion. And they would have no way of knowing that. They still choose to show their opposition to the capital in little ways at first, but those little ways are what builds up into a full-scale rebellion. You couldn't have a rebellion without these little acts that we see here. And so every little action matters. And it just, like, it also shows Katniss that she's not alone, even though now she's not actively being like, oh my god, yeah, I I totally want to fight the capital, let's do it. It's still, yes, people support, or people opposing the capital, but also people supporting her because she has gained the care and the respect of the people of District 11 because of what she's done for Rue. And they have a very strong admiration for her specifically which also goes back to the whole like whole blaming her her blaming herself for anything that happens as a result of what she did even if it's by the people's choice because there also is a part of them that's doing it to show their support for her as an individual standing up to the capital and then finally the last thing i wanted to just briefly touch on is Candace's relationship to her mother which i've obviously talked about before but it's slightly changed as time goes on Uh, so I just want to bring it up briefly again but just like after this 
this meeting she has with Snow, she decides immediately just to tell her mother, like, oh, this is just a normal thing. President always visits the victory. We just don't see it on TV. So her mother doesn't worry. And it's just this like natural protective instinct that she has over her mother, which would usually be the opposite. Like a mother would have that for their daughter. But given everything that's happened in the way that she feels she has to look out for Prim, she feels the same way for her mother. And so that this isn't, and so the decision to keep these threats from her, like a secret from her is such an instantaneous one that she doesn't even have to think about it because it's so instinctual at this point of like, I have to look out for my mother. I don't want her to worry. And I think that like, as much as the relationship has improved and, and she's sort of starting to be more forgiving about like everything that her mother went through after their father died, like, and she, she recognizes that like, she needs to kind of let those things go and try to heal their relationship. There is something that change in their dynamic when the, when Katniss's father died that can never truly change back in that she will always have to be her mother's protector and not the other way around. And that's not to say her mother never does anything to look out for her because that's obviously not the case, but it's just such, it's so ingrained in her that like she's kind of the the person looking out for their family in the way that her mother should be fulfilling that role in the family, in their like dynamic of their family. Um, and I just like, the fact that she's had to be that literally since she was 11 years old, I think that, I think her mother was always appreciative of it, but now she's sort of trying to turn that around, but it's kind of too late now, you know, like it's never, it's always going to be Katniss looking out for them at this point, no matter how much her mother has recovered and how much she tries to do for them now. It's always going to stay. Katniss is the one looking out for the family. And I also think that applies, like it's obviously different for Rube because she's the younger sibling and, and not the mother and no one like expects her to be the one looking out for everyone. But uh, Prim, wow. Mixing up Rube and Prim just feels so so real and so right um <laughs> but prim obviously matures a lot throughout the series specifically going from hunger games to Catching fire a large part of that probably because of how emotionally difficult it was for her to endure watching katniss in the hunger games day after day after day and that we don't know exactly how much her mother was present like physically yes she was present but mentally we don't really know how much it was her looking out for Prim during all of that or Prim looking out for herself. And so Prim has matured a lot and is is sort of like learning to kind of not be on her own per se because they're still with their whole family, but like stick up for herself, you know, find some strength that she has within her that she's just now discovering. And Katniss sees that and acknowledges that and, and loves that about her. But there's also still this like, she's still my little sister, I need to do everything I can to protect her. And that would never change. It, didn't, it wouldn't matter if it was like 10, 20, 30 years in the future, they were both adults. She's always going to have to look out for her little sister because she's always just going to see her. Yes, as, as she grows up, she'll start to see her as like a young woman, you know, see how much she has matured and how far she's come and acknowledge that. But she also is like, but that's my little sister. That's the girl who wanted always wanted to be a healer never wanted to be a hunter and and who would never want to hurt a fly but would do anything to heal someone who was hurt 
And I love that about Prim. I love that she gets to find her strength while still keeping her sort of gentle spirit. She's always a healer, even though horrible things have happened to her and have happened to her family. And she's had to experience all of that. And she's had to grow up faster than anyone her age should, much like Katniss did. But she still keeps wanting to heal people and not wanting to fight. And I think that's so important for her to hold on to throughout everything. And it's so, so indicative of what kind of person she is. And the differences between her and Katniss, not saying good or bad, right or wrong, but they're so different. But at the end of the day, they're always going to look out for each other. And that start that goes both ways too. Thanks for joining me this week on Tales of Panem. For those of you reading along with me, next week's episode will be covering chapters six through nine of Catching Fire. If you have any specific questions or topics you'd like me to cover, you can DM them to me on any social media or send them to my email, which is talesofpanem at gmail.com. If you'd like to leave a review or rating of the podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, it would be very appreciated. Thanks again for listening, and I'll be back next week.